All right. Why don't we go ahead and open with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, uh, we thank you that you generously reveal yourself to us in the face of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Uh, Lord, help us this morning to fix our, our minds on things above, that we might learn more of your generous character. Open our ears to hear and eyes to see beautiful things out of your law this morning. In Jesus' majestic name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, so before we get into it, let me quickly remind you where we're at so far. Uh, we began by saying that God is fundamentally generous in character. Uh, that's just who he is. Uh, but we also said that God is uh, not forced into being generous. He does it out of his own freedom uh, because God is absolutely self-sufficient. Uh, he doesn't need anyone or anything. Uh, so out of God's generous character, he generously made everything. Uh, that was his first creative act. And like a generous host, God cares for all things that he makes afterwards in his creation. Uh, then we looked at, um, at the various overarching, overarching things perter pertaining to God's image. Uh, first, we saw that God is a God who generously reveals himself to us. Uh, second, we saw that God generously loves us. And third, uh, we saw that God generously rules over us. Uh, in light of that, um, the last uh, three weeks or so, we've been covering what it means to bear God's generous image as those who have been made in his image. Uh, in other words, we've been wrestling with what it means to responsibly reflect back to God his generous character. Uh, as those who bear his image, we are to use our minds, our hearts, and our strength in ways uh, congruent with God's self-giving character. Uh, that's what we've been looking at the last three weeks. And so in, in the next coming weeks, I really want us to focus on what went wrong. Uh, the generous God has made us that we might reflect him and be generous as he is generous, but we know something terribly wrong has taken place. Um, so what I want uh, to do is to look at that brokenness. Uh, something is pressuring us to be stingy rather than to be generous. Uh, so the goal is uh, in the coming weeks is to, uh, to, why, uh, to answer why humans are uh, created in the image of God no longer live out of generosity. Uh, rather, they live out of scarcity or shortage instead. Um, we'll continue to use the various aspects of the image of God as our general outline, uh, our mind, our heart, and our strength. Uh, the goal is to investigate uh, the brokenness of each one uh, why they function out of scarcity rather than generosity. Uh, again, all of these aspects of the image are, are tied together. They are mutually connected. Uh, the brokenness of one is always projected on the others. 
in our lesson this morning, we want to look at the first aspect of the image, the mind. Uh, we're trying to answer this question. Why do we operate out of a shortage or scarce mentality uh, when God calls us to have an abundance mentality? Um, something is terribly wrong in our thinking. There's something fundamentally broken in our scarcity thinking because it diametrically opposes the generosity of God. Uh, but this shouldn't surprise us, right? Because we live in a consumeristic culture. Everyone seems to be driven by consumption and acquisition. Uh, why? Because we think we won't have enough or that we need to have something better all the time. Uh, so the big idea for us this morning is simply this. The fall of humankind left us with a scarcity mindset that he has made us, that has made us spurn the generosity of God and greedy towards one another. I'll say that again. Uh, the fall of humankind left us with a scarcity mindset that has made us spurn the generosity of God and greedy towards one another. All right, so in the beginning, humankind lived in abundance. Uh, the Lord provided more than they needed. Uh, the Lord, after all, is the, uh, is the generous host of all of creation, uh, but especially to humankind. Uh, he put them in a flourishing garden where he walked in their midst. Uh, they had all things in abundance because they had the Lord of generosity among them. Uh, there was not yet a curse upon humankind. Uh, but we all know that that did not last for very long. For very long. Uh, so what went wrong? What went wrong? Um, it's important that we go back to the beginning to see when and why everything began to unravel. Uh, why the generous image of God has severely been distorted. Uh, where humans began to turn inward and become utterly suspicious of the goodness and generosity of God. And for this reason, we'll go back to Genesis 3 a few more times in the coming weeks. Um, because from the outset of the biblical story, we encounter a challenge posed as to whether the Lord is generous with his dealings with humanity or stingily withholds good things from them. Uh, of course, as old as this challenge is, it has not left us as image bearers. Uh, humans continue to wrestle with that fundamental question. Is God good and generous, or, his, or is he not? Uh, but it all started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and, and the serpent. Uh, so what does the rebel angel disguised as a serpent say to Eve? If you have your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Genesis 3. Uh, 
All right, Genesis 3, let's start at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of, of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice how the Bible describes the serpent. He is shrewder than any of them, uh, any of the animal, as one translation puts it. He is more cunning than any other animal. Uh, there's something interesting that, um, that's present in that description. Uh, it's the Hebrew word arum, which sounds like the word for nakedness in the end of chapter 2, uh, which is arumim. Uh, what happens later in the narrative after Adam and Eve fall? Uh, well, they realize they're naked. They are overcome with shame. Why? Because of the serpent's cunning. Uh, their nakedness wasn't shameful in of itself, but after uh, the serpent is done with them, something in their thinking has changed and now their nakedness is a source of shame for them. Um, right there, that description of the serpent shows us a part of his tactic uh, as he attempts to destroy those made in the image uh, of God. Uh, his shrewdness indicates that he will attack the mind with deception. He will deceive. And so he sneakily questions the truth of God by asking, uh, did God actually say? Uh, now it's in Eve's head. Uh, if anything, she's at least entertaining the thought. Uh, you can tell because of her response to the serpents, right? Uh, listen to what she says in verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpents, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Uh, the serpent clearly got to her head. Uh, did you notice what she adds um, to the stipulation? Neither shall you touch it, right? Uh, one ancient commentator of scripture points out that if we start adding to a command uh, of God, we may end up taking away from it at the end. I think he's exactly right, because this is actually an essential principle that Moses lays down for Israel to observe. Uh, he, he tells them in Deuteronomy 4, he says, And now Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, uh, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to that word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you. Uh, for Eve, maybe she's thinking more defensively here, right? Uh, she doesn't want to get into trouble. Uh, it's her way of protecting herself, maybe. Uh, but maybe she begins to question the sufficiency of God's truth. Uh, what the Lord said wasn't enough. She had to add to it for herself. And so with such a misleading question from the serpent, 
the serpent begins the unraveling process of the human mind. Uh, from there, what does he say? Uh, look back again to Genesis 3, this time um, verses 4 and 5. It says this, uh, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The crafty serpent's question uh, now turns into an explicit, explicit denial of, uh, of God's word to Adam and Eve. I mean, it's one thing to question God's word, but it's another thing to outright defy his word. Um, the serpent is so sly. Notice what he's saying. God has an ungenerous kind of knowledge. He's not being generous in his knowledge. He knows something that you don't. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree. You'll, be the kind, you'll have the kind of knowledge that God has. Uh, see, he's, he's really being stingy with you. Uh, the serpent is openly attacking God's generous knowledge to humankind. Uh, but as we've learned, God is anything but stingy when it comes to revelation because he actually desires to reveal himself to us. He wants us to know. Uh, so now Eve, along with her husband, uh, was faced with this intellectual and ethical dilemma. They had to make a decision. And ultimately, she had to make a theological judgment about the Lord. Is he good and generous, or is he stingy and withholding good from us? Is he keeping knowledge from us? What was her judgment? Well, look at verse 6. Or it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her, to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her, to her husband who was with her and he ate. Uh, right there, Eve decided that God's command was ungenerous that God was withholding knowledge and, wis and wisdom back from her and her husband. So they ate in defiance, thinking themselves wiser than God. Um, that's what a scarcity mindset is all about. Eve's theological judgment about the Lord amounted to nothing short of intellectual suicide. Uh, because now the human psyche is is bent towards scarcity rather than abundance. Uh, Eve and Adam caving in to this lie turns the whole world upside down. And so here's the question. What happened after this twisting of the human mind? Uh, can you think of any places where this scarcity mindset shows itself? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. The next spot is Cain and Abel right afterwards. Oh man, good stuff. Yep. And Abel. Anybody else? I think of scarcity when we don't 
kind of going off of what we were talking about in the reading group on Thursday when we're not vulnerable with our brothers and sisters. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, for me, in two respects, I mean, I look at myself right now and I'm at times thinking about, as you're talking about these themes, I'm thinking about budgeting. <laughs> and, uh, but then also David, uh, he got given him everything he wanted. This was Nathan's indictment of him. And yet he still took from the we, uh, we didn't hear the last part of um, your comments, Stephen, if you can repeat again. Still there? No, he's, uh, he's paused. He's very still. That $150 computer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's another character, right? He, he had everything, and yet he, he goes and, and sleeps with another man's wife and has uh, her husband killed in battle. That's a scarcity mindset. Anybody else? So in Israel, um, in the wilderness, they constantly grumbled and complained, um, even though God did provide for them. Yeah, I'm telling you guys, I think like... I should be writing these with you guys because like you, you guys are on point. You, <laughs> you got it. Um, does anybody else have anything before I mute everyone? I see it a lot in myself when I, um, in a, in a variety of ways, cause I'm the worst, but, um, I see it a lot when I'm writing out my offering checks mm. and I'm like, mm, do I have enough money for Jesus? this week and the answer is yes it's it's <laughs> wide. But it's, I mean it's a hard issue and then um I see it a lot in um in the single Christian community hmm. specifically single adults when like we don't trust that the Lord is going to provide a, a good spouse and so we are constantly seeking something else and we're just like God is withholding good mates from us. Yeah. That's where I see it the most in my life. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and mute everyone. Yeah, um, I think Steve said it. It was Cain and Abel, right? It didn't take long for the change mindset to take root and grow within the biblical drama. Uh, the spiral of a scarcity mindset continued immediately in scripture with the story of Cain and Abel. Um, yeah, what happened with the first brothers in scripture? Well, the brothers both bring offerings to the Lord, but only Abel's offering was accepted. Uh, Cain wasn't very happy, was he? Uh, this enrages him, enough so that he takes his brother to the field and murders him. Um, why does he murder his brother? Uh, yes, he was jealous and angry for God rejecting his offering. I think that's true. But I think something more, more fundamental or, or something was going on underneath the surface, right? This was the first sibling rivalry recorded for us, if you think about it, right? The first two brothers and the first rivalry. Um, many of you know what this is like. 
I have an older sister and I know we used to, to fight all the time when we were growing up. Um, what can you tell me about, very quickly, what can you tell me about sibling rivalries? Why do siblings fight? I'm gonna go ahead and unmute everyone. Well, Emily wanted my birthright, or not Emily, but Cheyenne, I should say. Emily, but I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so we fought a lot because we're always trying to get it from them. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, Cheyenne, I had to read you over there. Uh, you, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everyone. Yeah, we, we, I mean, we fight with our siblings uh, most of the time because they have something that we don't. We feel left out. I think that's what Cain was feeling before Abel was born. Uh, he was the only one. Nothing was scarce for him. He was the baby, right? He didn't have to share with anyone. Um, it's as if the whole world was his. Uh, then Abel comes along and disrupts that bliss. Uh, and Abel incites the scarcity mindset that came uh, when Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden fruit. Uh, I want you to notice something important in the Cain and Abel story. Uh, where does this I have to have more mindset lead? Well, it leads to murder. Uh, isn't that exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden? Eve and Adam spurned God's generosity, uh, they were thinking, I need to have more. We need to have more, more knowledge. We need to know as God knows. And it led to their death. Uh, it really bugs me when I hear Christians say, God helps those who help themselves. I mean, what is wrong with that saying other than it's not in the Bible? Well, this mindset is a type of hoarding that deceives us into thinking that taking for ourselves leads to prosperity. Uh, but in the end, it actually leads to losing everything. Even worse, it leads to our death. Um, we could continue down, uh, down the line of biblical revelation and see this mindset plague, uh, continue to plague humankind over and over again. Uh, humans continued to attempt to grasp for themselves because they didn't think, uh, think and believe that God is generous, that he provides even in impossible circumstances. I mean, this is all over the place in scripture. Um, you know, Stephen mentioned David earlier. I think we can um, think of more places. Uh, there are so many other places we can turn to, uh, but before we move on, let's look at one more example. Uh, we've seen this mindset on the individual level with Cain, uh, but I want us to see that it affects people in the big level, uh, the bigger level, right? The corporate, corporate level, that a whole group can be plagued with this kind of thinking. So soon after the Lord delivered Israel from the hands of Egypt and Pharaoh, we encounter this mindset at work in Israel. Um, you know, um, Cheyenne mentioned this, this narrative earlier. In the wilderness, on their way to the promised land, uh, they began to question God's generosity. Uh, 
I mean, think about how crazy that is, right? How can such a great deliverance from captivity still make them question the Lord's goodness and generosity? Yet they, yet they did. They questioned the Lord's generosity. They grumbled again and again among, among themselves against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. You know, only if we can go back uh, to Egypt where the leeks and the onions are there. Uh, you know, can we just go back? Um, we're told in the narrative that, you know, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, but ultimately they were grumbling against their Lord. Uh, listen to this from Exodus 16, verse 2 and 3. Uh, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that he, uh, we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Um, I, I, think, I think really, you know, when, when we grumble against each other, we're really grumbling against the Lord. Because the Lord is ultimately in control. And, we, and when we say, uh, you know, we, we don't have enough. Look what other people have and we don't. We're grumbling against the Lord. Um, Israel grumbled in the wilderness. Um, maybe those Snickers commercials are onto something uh, when, it's, uh, when they say, you're not you when you're hungry, right? Um, hunger makes us grumpy for wanting our bellies to be full. Uh, but that's not ultimately the reason Israel grumbled against the Lord. Uh, they grumbled for the same reason we grumble as a people. We think God is ungenerous because our compass for abundance is bent, is off course. Is that whole thing in the Garden of Eden again. Uh, like Eve, we look at our circumstances and say, God must, not, must be withholding something good from us. Well, it starts with one person, and it can quickly spread to a whole community. Uh, then the corporate body will soon be saying together, the Lord won't give us what we want when we want it, so he must not be generous. Let's take things into our own hands. Uh, I mean, isn't it any wonder that the Ten Commandments are topped off with these words? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, Israel was reminded, as we all are, of our propensity to want things that don't belong to us. That's the scarcity mindset. Uh, why? Because we think in terms of, of shortage, that God isn't generous enough to satisfy our deepest longings. Uh, but of course, the Lord does satisfy our deepest longings. It's just that we constantly are longing for the wrong things. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples in, in Luke 12, take care and be on your guard against all uh, covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Uh, what does Jesus mean when he says that life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? I'm going to go ahead and, and unmute everyone. What does Jesus mean there? I mean, it's, it's not in material things. It's what's in the heart. Good. Yeah, for sure. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also called himself the bread of life. Um, you know, so I think life comes in Christ. And apart from Christ, anything else is not life. It makes me think back to what you were saying about the garden, right? Um, the greatest consequence was not losing out on the palm groves and the wonderful fruit and you know, the animals, it was, it was losing the presence of, of God. God. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. There's, there, uh, I think this is so contrary to the world speaking, right? Where, where life is, is about acquisition. It's about taking for ourselves because the more things we have, the more meaningful our lives are. Uh, but the but the Bible is clear that life, true life, is only found in Christ, is only found in our Lord. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everyone. I think Jesus says this because our creek, uh, us as creatures made in God's image. Our deepest longings are not things we can possess or status we can achieve. What we are really longing for is God himself, uh, to have a deep and lasting communion with him. Uh, this is why Jesus will later say in that same passage, uh, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. God is our treasure that does not fail. And he delights to give himself to us. Um, I think... I think that's where we have to fix our eyes uh, while, we, while we do wrestle with this scarcity mindset that the Lord, the Lord is abundant in, in his generosity to us, so much so that he longs to give himself to us. Uh, our greatest longing is met in him. Okay, so let me pause there. I'm running out of time a little bit. Um, Maybe you have a few questions or reflections before we move on. Go ahead and unmute everyone. Any questions, comments? All right, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everyone then. Okay, so having looked at the, the deformation of the human mind 
what we want to do now ex is examine some of the ways uh, this touches home for us. And I think, you know, some of your comments earlier, you know, your personal comments, uh, how, uh, how uh, this already operates in your own life, I, I think, you know, that's kind of where we're going. We, we want to see a little bit the practical things um, uh, where this, where the rubber meets the road, as um, if you will. Uh, so let me, let me ask this question um, to get us going on this section. Uh, how does this scarcity mindset affect the way we live with each other? All right. I went ahead and unmuted everybody. How does this scarcity mindset affect the way we live with each other? I want you to think like very concretely, like our life together as a, as a church, as God's people. Basically, do we share with each other? Do we share what we have? Be it little or much, are we giving from what God has given us? Okay, sharing. Mm -hmm. Well, it also causes quarrels and fights amongst the people in the church when they, um, when they consider their own, uh, you know, I don't know if passions would be the right word, but passions um, and what they want over what um, they need and over other people in the church and in their community. Yeah, that's James, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. I'll be, preach I'll be preaching on that at, uh, at some point. Yeah, that's good, good. It makes us, we have this mindset, it makes us have all these unnecessary conflicts, right? Okay, uh, since we're running out of time, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, mute everybody. Now, ever since the fall of humankind, our minds are in constant revolt against the idea that God will be generous with us. Uh, that's the vertical dimension. But there's also this horizontal dimension to our corrupt mindset. Uh, because I think if we are now naturally suspicious um, or reject the generosity of God, then we are, by implication, um, suspicious of one another as well. Uh, what makes us think that others would be generous with us if God isn't generous with us? It makes us think that people are just out to get their own and there won't be enough for us. Uh, this is at the heart of a mind focused on shortage rather than abundance because a scarcity mindset ultimately makes us turn inward and self-enclosed in our outlook uh, among, amongst each other. It makes us incredibly selfish because it begins with us all the time. Uh, that's the mindset that we are constantly wrestling with. And when everything begins with us, we can't think generously of other people there will always be a hint of suspicion against them. Uh, I mean, what happens when out of our selfishness, we're constantly sus suspicious of people? How will we end up treating, treating them? Well, 
I think we're, we're always going to be on, on guard if that's the way we think about them, when we're always suspicious um, against other people. We're going to be defensive because we think everyone else is on our turf. Uh, we saw that earlier with Kane. Uh, I mean, how many countless relationships have turned sour and have been broken because of this defensive attitude towards one another? Uh, I know personally, I've had a few relationships end uh, because of my stubbornness to, um, of constantly putting myself you know, above other people, above those that I'm in uh, community with. And when we are defensive, I, again, this is where uh, Sh what Cheyenne was pointing at earlier, uh, conflict will eventually arise, right? That's why the Bible says the selfish man stirs up, stirs up strife or conflict. Uh, and I'll read from James, that passage that Cheyenne was alluding to. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, right? You, you, you want things. You have that uh, scarcity mindset and you do not have. And so you murder. You murder. Um, think of the garden again and, and Cain and Abel. Uh, you covet and cannot and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Why don't we ask? Uh, well, we don't ask be because we think that God is not going to be generous with us, right? I think that's the heart of the problem. Um, and so we fight with each other. Um, and it's just not out there, um, outside of our homes. This also... Uh, it becomes prominent in our own homes when we have this mindset. Uh, Proverbs 15 says, whoever's greedy, whoever puts themselves first for unjust gain troubles his own household. Uh, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many oppressive households there are because there are selfish individuals living in that household. Um, I know I've been a part of a household like that. And and it brings all kinds of strife and troubles and conflicts. And so we need to be on guard, not against one another, but against thinking that it's all about us, against a scarcity mindset that puts us at the center of our universe. Okay, um, let me close with this final reflection since we're running out of time. A scarcity mindset steals our joy in other people. When we think this way, we can't bear to see others flourishing. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, um, but my guess is that you have, and maybe you constantly do experience it. I mean, have you ever felt bitter because people are succeeding? Well, that's because we're operating for, from a scarcity mindset, because we've made ourselves the center. Like Adam and Eve, we've come to question whether the Lord will be generous or not. And it turns out it spoils our relationships with one another. Instead of finding joy in our brothers and our sisters when they are succeeding, when they are growing, we find reasons to grumble.
Uh, beloved, we need the grace of the Lord Jesus to transform our minds. Uh, do you have any final questions or comments as, as we come to a close? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. Any, uh, any reflections? No, Brian, I'm just reminded how much we already have. Uh, with Jesus being given all things, uh, I appreciate the generosity of Jesus. And he says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Mm -hmm. uh, he is the greatest gift. He is our treasure and our prize. And it reminds me of the thief on the cross, you know, remember me uh, in, with, in, uh, with your kingdom and in your kingdom. Uh, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. It's, the gift there is not paradise. The gift is with me because that is the paradise. Yeah, that is, that is why it's paradise, huh? That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Okay. Um, let me close in prayer then. Let's pray. Our merciful and generous Father, uh, we give you the honor and praise for sharing yourself with us, our greatest treasure and gift. Um, Lord, you have shared your knowledge, your love, and your rule to us that we might know you and reflect you to this broken world. And we ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would continue to reveal yourself in your word that we might be conformed to your word, um, uh, to the word made flesh, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is ruling and reigning in heaven. And Lord, may we fix our eyes on him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.